Welcome to the Lazy People Podcast, the podcast about all things technology and people and technology in Belgium, of course, from outside of Belgium. My name is Errol Baikal, and I'm here with my co-host, Metzian. Hey, welcome to today's episode. With us, we have Ken Bonny, a uh, seasoned uh, C developer who will today help us understand what trunk based development is all about. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Ken? Uh, hi, I've, uh, um, I've been developing .NET applications uh, since I left uh, college. Um, and I, I really uh, enjoy doing that. I like the, the technical challenge and, and um, understanding uh, the the problems that that a business or or you know a client uh, has, and then finding a, a really elegant uh, solution for that, I I really enjoy doing that. Okay, just to uh, just to clarify, you said uh, after I left college, this this obviously wasn't last year. <laughs> yeah, how, how long are we talking about here? Like a decade? Yeah, I. It's twelve, almost thirteen years of, of development. I've been I've been thinking about that um, a little while ago, um, and I was like, "How long have I been working now?" And it's it's over twelve years, nearly thirteen years, I think. So, um, and it's did you it's, did you learn software development in college, or were you already playing around with computers as a kid, and then it sort of naturally felt like this is something I want to do to to uh, you know. Make a I, living um, off. Yeah, in in my teens, I was uh, really big into gaming, and I, I still enjoy that uh, when I got the time. Um, but especially back then, um, the middle of the '90s, beginning of the the 2000s, if you wanted to get like mods or, or spe- uh, specific games working, you needed some technical knowledge, um, and uh, that that kind of got me into computers, and then. When the, the last years of, of high school came around, you needed to like specialize uh, into into something, and there was a, a programming course. And I, I said, you know what, I, I enjoy PCs, I enjoy gaming. Let's see what this is. And then I I kind of rolled from there into into college, and they taught me the basics. And uh, I was fortunate enough to work with uh, some really talented people over the years who taught me. What uh, clean code and and good architecture uh, is, and how how you can work towards uh, some something like that. So yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a fun twelve years. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, I know the the topic of today is um, uh, trunk based development, which which we'll get into um, very soon. But I also want to talk about the fact that you're uh, .NET developer and professionally have been for for over a decade now, coming close to like thirteen years. You you mm-hmm. said now, um, from my limited knowledge of the market, uh, .NET developers are m- less uh, prolific in the market than let's say Java developers. Do you have the same uh, impression? Um, like there there's fewer of of uh, dot netters than, than Java developers, let's say. Am I wrong? I have I could no be idea. Wrong. I have no idea how many Java developers 
there are. Um, I just know that I'm being contacted by recruiters and, and possible customers on a very regular schedule to, to see if I need a new a new job and a new opportunity or a new client. So there's there's quite a bit of work out there for, for .NET consultants, especially here, here in Belgium. Um, so I, I can't complain about uh, a shortage of work, but it's, oh no, that's not that's not, uh, what I, that's not what I implied. Oh. I, was just, I would actually assume because there's fewer people to do the work, there's probably you know uh, a, a more beneficial. The, the market is more beneficial towards the the provider of the service, i.e., you uh, than than because my impression of it is completely um, uh, personal. Just Throughout the years, like a lot of the people I meet when they're in, uh, especially in, in backend uh, uh, stuff, most of them appear to do Java, but it could just be, you know, my uh, skewed impression of it. Mitt, do you have well, a... I, yeah, yeah, I want to, yeah. Um, so I, the way I look at it is, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even give my, my, my experience. A long time ago, um, over 20 years ago, I wanted to, uh, I was doing a bit learning HTML and then the next level would be dynamic uh, websites. So I had a choice between ASP and uh, PHP. And obviously I chose PHP because that was open source community supported and there's a lot of people in it, right? I think Java is the same way. And, and the reason why ASP did not have many people because it was a, um, you had to pay for even uh, the software back then. I think Microsoft kind of now um, made all the tools free, just develop with, with our platforms and use Azure. <laughs> um, so I think that's there's still the, the effect of that, I meaning you have more people doing Java than I think .NET, .NET people developing. Um, and also for, for an enterprise to, to use Java, it's although it's not, I'm not, I'm not going to call it 100% free, but it's more free, freer than having to have a uh, an ASP.NET license, for example. So uh, this is where I think volume-wise or quantity-wise, you might find you might be right about the numbers um, being more more people available for this open source uh, or have or the ones that have really that's kind of open source um, annotation. I like your PHP ASP uh, comparison because yes, indeed, uh, back in those days, l literally it was impossible to find people who did ASP for fun, um, and and uh, all the cool kids were doing PHP. Um, right now, of course, on this show, uh, just happens all three of us are in .NET, um, but uh, it seems like when I speak to people from outside the bubble. It's it's more common seems, but it could be skewed. Let us know if you if you disagree with this, uh, dear listeners. Hey, uh, Ken. But another question on this is: well, your your higher education, like when you went to um, uh, you know continue after high school, uh, mm -hmm. you studied. Was this uh, did your institution have a certain flavor? Like, was it a, a Microsoft school, or did that impact your decision? You think? Um, yeah. The the two main programming languages we got a lot were either Java or .NET. Um, and my very first in in high school, we got a little taught a little bit of programming, and that was in Visual Basic. Uh, and that's um, it's a really nice language to learn stuff because it's really verbose and it's really easy to read. 
Um, but once you get the hang of it, I think the the, the more terse syntax of uh, C sharp in Java becomes uh, comes more interesting as you don't need to need to be so verbose uh, as with as with Visual Basic. And um, um, when I got Java and .NET, we we kind of were taught the same things, but in different languages. Um, over different semesters, so so the first semester it would be Java, second semester it would be uh, .NET, and it would you know switch switch around like that. Um, and we we just saw the same things. And with .NET, I was like, hey, I know what this thing is doing. Okay, I I get what I'm doing. And with Java, I was always like, what's going on? Why why am I writing this like this? Why what 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 is that thing doing? And so when I when I left. Um, College, I, I kind of looked for for opportunities in in, in .NET, and mm -hmm. I I haven't really looked back ever since. I'm surprised fun, that fun you... little fun Go little ahead. side note. Um, in college, I uh, the the original one of the first year, uh, no, this the second in the second year, I had ASP dot uh, classic ASP, and the year later, I knew it was going to be re be replaced by PHP because PHP was was more in demand. Mm -hmm. And I intentionally failed my ASP exam so, so I could PHP. get PHP the year, <laughs> <laughs> the year uh, beyond. And it was it was a lot more fun than, than classic ASP, but um, I just I just rolled with with .NET because it kind of had everything, back end, front end. Um, you you could go all kinds of directions and even more now. But uh, yeah, you, you were saying at all. Uh, no, I was saying I, I was sort of surprised about your remark, and I wanted to, uh, you know, suggest that maybe it could have been uh, about the teachers, etc. But I'm afraid that we're derailing the discussion. Um, maybe it's a topic for for another time. Um, I do want to close with the following remark. I hope it doesn't uh, uh, get uh, people upset about us when I say something. I think people who picked .NET uh, a decade ago were probably more of the free thinkers and the and the rebels than those that went with the, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to do what everybody's doing, the popular thing, which is, you know, bashing on Microsoft. Because 15 years ago, what was about, you know, Microsoft today? People are like, oh, you know, they, they bought GitHub. They're like open source. They do uh, Visual Studio Code, etc. But 15 years ago, Microsoft was an evil empire. Okay, so mm -hmm. you, you go there; it, it shows like um, you know, yeah, it shows a bit of uh, guts, I think. So, um, please don't hate me for saying that. Um, and now, maybe let's go to our main topic because today we wanted to talk to you um, because a blog post you you, uh, you wrote some time ago, which caught my attention. It's uh, it's trunk based development. So. Um, the, the the elevator pitch what what is it um trunk based development is um you you program um against one source code branch which contains the the most recent version of your program and then you deploy that uh that version you deploy to all of your environments based on um whether whether uh, users uh whether testers uh, think it's good enough, and and you can you can do gradual rollover of of uh, servers um, so that you don't uh, pull down your whole your whole um, environment at once. 
Um, that's the that's the basic thing. But I for this client, I couldn't go full um, trunk based development. So so I did a little um, a little modification for them. So it's easier to to keep to keep uh, testing environment and production environments. Okay. Um, Difference. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and uh, recap that for um, uh, maybe people in the audience who were now thrown in in the deep end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, trunk-based development is a um, a um, uh, source control strategy and a deployment strategy. Am I correct? Yeah, indeed. And it is not the most common industry standard today. Is that correct as well? Um, there are a couple of places that use it and use it very well, but I think that most uh, most uh, companies still have different branches for different environments. Yeah. So it is not the most common uh, thing around. Okay. Because what I want to do is I want to establish what you know, here in our little council, we would consider to be the the industry standard, like explain it as, as simple as we can, and then explain how trunk-based development differs from this. And then we can go into why, what, what's positive and negative about it. So who wants to take a stab at what they think is currently, you know, the industry is doing? Like, let's say you have, you're, you're applying somewhere for a job and what, what would they expect you to know in terms of, um, uh, Git strategies or uh, you know source control strategies. Well, um, if I may, um, I I have been so I've been involved in in a number of projects, but um, I haven't seen, haven't been introduced to um, all of these. I mean, they're not different, not from different um, companies. So I couldn't. Couldn't say um, what's the strategy or whether the one strategy is being used more. Uh, I find it surprising if it's the case that um, branches are being used um, as environment uh, uh, doorsteps. Um, yeah, because that's really that's mixing things up. Um, a branch has nothing to do with an environment. I mean, a branch simply, it's a placeholder for code with a specific, you know, uh, uh, IDs or, or changes or... So, um, yeah, I, I, I would question even why, why would, would even, um, you know, project uh, decide to, uh, to be set up or set up for companies to projects like this. Uh, Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. What what was your question exactly? Yeah, it's more like um, why is it? Why do you think why do, why do you think that companies um, use multiple branches for a different environment? Um, because they think it's easier to reason about. If you have uh, a development environment where your where your programmers can break everything. They they can say um, we have a development branch that goes to the development testing environment, and then when that's okay, we push all those changes to the uh, test branch and de deploy to the testing uh, environment so that our 
uh, our test team can um, can click around and, and make sure that everything still works. And then we can push it over to a QA or quality assurance branch so that our business people can can click around and, and see that everything is, is working as, uh, as intended um, before it goes to the production branch and then goes to production so that all of our users can can uh, can make use of it, and that's that's like neatly packaged up. Like the developers work on dev, and then we push it to to test, and then if the testers say something is not right, then we go back to development. But it it actually brings up a lot of um, overhead, like which version is deployed where, which changes can go to which environments. And it's it's it it gets complex really fast. If you just say we have our software here on on our branch, and we can deploy this version first to development so that we can test with it, and we see there's something wrong, then we just change the one the one version that we have in uh, in 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 our you know, trunk branch. And then if we see that's okay, then we can move that code further along the line to 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 next environments but that as well um brings brings some challenges uh with it because if you only have one branch then everything is going to be in there the the bug fixes the experimental things that you you might not want to ship to to production yet so you you need things in place so that you can say, um, I, I want to make use of this of this new web page that I, that I created, but I want to show it in development and to the testers, but not yet to 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 any of the business um, to any of the business yet. Uh, and that's why I for the for the client where I was working because they don't have um, infrastructure in place yet to do all of these complex uh, things for deciding who gets to see what. Um, I, I had uh, two, two branches um, in place, one for all of the test environments, and then one branch for what the business um, could see. And then I could pipe over only the parts that that um, and then I could bring over only the the parts that uh, that the testers agreed upon were were nice were good, um, and because you only have two environments actually your your test environment and that could and that can consist of several of several stages of testing, and then you had your your production environment, um, which made it manageable. You didn't have like four or five environments where you mm -hmm. need to go like in development we have these things and in testing we have these things but not those things and then in in QA we have these things and a bug fix but not some other things. It gets it gets really confusing and now you just have what's running in production and what's running in all of our testing environments. Okay, Ken, um, you said a lot of things, so I'm gonna try yeah. to recap again. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. That's why we have on the show. Um, 
So first of all, in response to to uh, Matt's question, you sort of explained uh, what I personally believe is is a traditional way of this uh, this uh, waterfall style. Um, uh, I think it's called Git flow uh, way of working, where you know you you graduate from the, the most technical branch to closer and closer to the user. You know, passing uh, QA mm-hmm. and business. And uh, you automate according to the branch. I think that's what you, you know. What you mean when you say, "Oh, there's a branch for an environment." Like when you push to that uh, branch, it will deploy to a certain environment, or, or it will build in a certain way. Um, yeah. Maybe that answers Matt's question. Uh, did Did it answer your question, Matt? I mean, um, I think yeah, I think can answer the question, but I wouldn't agree. It's um, like Git flow because if you're referring to. Um, Git flow specifically that has a uh, that defines a strategy by uh, Vincent uh, Derisen, uh, which is very well adopted. Um, and I'm actually I'm curious to see what different. Um, how how do you how would you describe it, it like this this way of working, which uh, is something I'm actually used to? How would you see where would you see the the biggest difference with with uh, vanilla Git flow? What's uh, well? It so the the first thing is that um, it's not based on environment that we define uh, branches. I mean, for with Gitflow, you have two long living um, uh, branches. You have develop and you have master. You used to have. Yeah, used to have. <laughs> now, what is it called now? I, I've. Well. No, I'm I'm saying you know that's what you have with uh, with Gitflow, right? You have two long living, um, uh, you know, uh, like continuous uh, branches. Mm-hmm. Develop is your default one. That's where everything happens. That's your latest code, and then you have the master or main or whatever you want to call it. If you want to be politically correct, right? And that one, that one where uh, your production uh, or what you release would end up in. Now. In addition to this, you have short-lived branches. And those could be uh, branches where you do your work, like for features. You would have also uh, uh, bug fixes. You would have hot fixes as well. Um, uh, I think this is this is it. Um, if I'm missing something of the short-lived, you know, maybe I'm missing mm-hmm. something, but okay. Um, and you have the releases. So you have a branches that live only temporarily while the software is being tested. And those are release branches. Um, the hot fixes, hot fix only comes from uh, the master, right? From production, meaning something has been detected, we have to fix it immediately. So uh, that's a branch is created off, off of um, the master branch or the main branch. The rest are spin-offs of develop to be able to to um, uh, to do your work, uh, the release. What happens is the release branches again short-lived. Develop f- uh, feeds into release. The release gets uh, tested. If there are fixes, they get fixed within the release itself. And when the last RC that's accepted, then that code gets into master. Okay, uh, uh, just br- I, w- I want to just have a brief. Uh, answer from my question next month because i want to co- go back to what um ken was saying about uh trunk-based development so how would you argue is um 
uh, this Git flow, uh, orthodox Git flow, different than where uh, you have multiple long-lived uh, branches per environment? Could you not argue the, the long-lived environment branches are just utility branches? They're just there to make your life easier, to, to make automation easier. And therefore, eh, it's pretty much the same thing. Would you argue against it? No, I, of course, yeah, that, that's a, that's problematic because uh, anything that exists, um, you might be duplicating things. You have to keep track of which one is the latest version. So um, you cannot have things that exist twice. You have to have one instance of of things at all at all times. And when you have the, um, I mean, you could say that we would work with only one branch instead of even two, but GitFlow kind of Let's it lets that uh, master branch kind of be the the one that's kind of clean, meaning the hops between one tag to the other really put you in a very stable uh, stable uh, release. If you want to jump back and forth, you know, within different uh, releases. Uh, aside from that, yeah, you do not have duplications, and if you have multiple branches, that means you are duplicating. Uh, uh, for the environment, you are then duplicating code for no reason. You might have two. You might have two. Um, you might have two branches or three branches that are supposed to be the same thing, but one is updated, one is not updated. Maybe are two are the same. Why have two of the same? Just because they have to push on a uh, on a, an environment that could be managed by a variable. It brings it brings in extra maintenance work, yeah. headaches, unforeseen things, and bugs. Okay, um, so maybe to, to bring this back to, uh, to, to, to Ken's point as well, um, I have a feeling we should have just d- uh, done this episode just about um, Git strategies maybe uh, instead of uh, just focusing on uh, trunk-based development. Um, but uh, Ken, when you hear Matt's description of you know, uh, vanilla Git flow, as opposed to you know the, the one you described, uh, where you have the, the stable branches for the environment, do you see uh, trunk-based development? Uh, how where do you see it in in relation to these two systems? Is it similar to one or the other, or does it fall in between, or is it different than than all of them? Um, the the thing that I heard was that I got explained GitFlow wrongly to me so so i had a, a wrong idea of gitflow uh where uh, where i thought that in gitflow every environment has their own branch which apparently is i i learned something new today that uh, that was wrong on my end um and that's why i thought when when i i started at the company and i saw hey they they have like these these four branches um and nobody really knows what's where exactly or where every bug fix is is going um i thought i'd I'd simplify it with uh, trunk-based development but because there are some issues with trunk-based development that that you just can't switch out one for the other uh, i did i did a hybrid flow which actually i think without knowing it reinvented git (laughs) git flow Mm -hmm. um and and that i just applied regular git flow with with two branches uh one on which i develop and then i just kind of keep my my feature and bug branches and then the client can say hey feature one and two and bug one and two are done but bug three is is not correctly fixed yet so only do do the 
bring the four the first four things to production and keep working on on that last on that last bug so that that's something i i could do um i wanted to to put um basic git flow <coughs> uh, sorry basic uh trunk based development <coughs> Yeah, I, I think we, we just lost Kenny for a few uh, seconds because he's having a coughing, but he's back with us. Yeah, you know, what you wanted to do was? It's not Corona, I, I promise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, um, we'll make this episode go viral, maybe. <laughs> um, so because I couldn't do um, trunk-based development as it is nicely described, um, I had to break it up into into two parts. One part where I could where I could um, have all my test environments, so I could first deploy to Dev, and when I saw it was good on Dev, I could say, okay, I, I sign off on this, and then it would go to test, and then the testers um, would come in and and um, test it thoroughly, and when they gave their okay, it would. Um, it would wait for me to to move the the, the approved changes to uh, the the production uh, environment, and then it got automatically deployed when when the when the business people gave their okay. Um, so that's that's uh, I set up the basics um, for that because uh, uh, there there's only one production environment, so the testing. Team says okay, it can go to it can go to production, um, but it um, uh, the um, trunk based oh. development yeah. is is um, a bit different from Gitflow, as in Gitflow still has uh, two branches, and trunk true trunk based development only has only has one, and you say like I'm um, Bill, uh, uh, I'm writing code. I'm pushing it on onto um, the, mm -hmm. the single branch. That then builds to um, a test environment. And when a tester says okay, it automatically goes to the next step. Um, that's that's similar to what to what I did and to what um, Gitflow does. But there's in Gitflow there's still the the heart, the pen, uh, the heart. Cut off breaks. Um, cut off at at uh, at the business end, which you need to pull over manually, or maybe you can automate it. Um, but I have not I have not done that. But uh, trunk based development says we're going to push this this single branch, this single um, build that we have. We're going to uh, we can push it all the way into uh, production. If everybody signs off on it, um, but like I said before, there's there's still some some there needs to be some some mechanisms in place so that um, not everything is is displayed everywhere, and that is that is a a challenge in itself to to get right and and to make it easy so it's easily changed in different environments and that is i think that's that's a big challenge at uh at this point that that prevents um trunk-based development from really being um adopted by a lot of companies 
Um, I have heard a while back that um, that uh, Google they are they work with a strategy where it has only one branch. I do not know if it's if this for is for Chrome. The same. I heard as well they used I I heard the same they used yeah. Development. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was trunk based, but if it is, then yeah. Uh, I think I think what I like about the single single um, single uh, trunk, right? Single branch um, is that you it would kind of force you to create that build, and that build would start. Well, the same build would flow from um, from the initial test for. Let's not call developer because I would think that developer will even do their testing on on their own separate short-lived branch, right? But once that code reaches that main branch, it might be built where that build would go through testing, through QA, through business, go through different flows. And if it's okay in all of them, that same build will end up in production and does not even have to be built two times or three times. Um, I I, th I like that idea. You know, that again, this is something exists only once. And yeah, obviously, if it's at some point, it's not good enough. It gets cleared, right? Gets wiped out. You have a new one on RC2, for example, until that same one ends up in production. Um, and I think, I think the um, working with one branch encourages this. Basically, pushes us to find ways to make. The testers work on the same build that the one that will possibly end up in production. Instead of saying, okay, this is for tester, this is for beta, this is for well before the alpha, this is for this. I don't know what what you think. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as somebody who has not ever used uh, trunk-based development, I thought for me the the lure of, of having a single branch was the immediate feedback on what you're doing. And I thought it went hand to hand with very short-lived feature branches. Yeah. So there is this one branch and it's literally the product, the code base, and you sort of have the responsibility to, to work on it. So you use things like feature flags to hide uh, what, what isn't finished yet. But if you break something, it becomes immediately visible to everybody else in the team. So you have that responsibility to make sure nothing ever goes stale, which is both a cost and uh, enforce, enforces discipline in a different way. At the same time, uh, I think it's uh, it follows the, the idiom met that you said of not copying things, but not only in terms of you know having multiple branches for your code, but entry points for um, for QA and testing that you keep them at, you know, there's this one branch they could be continuously testing that and your developers could be continuously developing on that. And if you have that, uh, a good system going on where, you know, it's continuously being tested, continuously being developed on, it could also be continuously be, being deployed and it will be much cheaper than, um, for example, if you test on multiple uh, release branches, uh, if that makes sense, which is maybe something typical for uh, the, the environment that I work in currently, where I see a lot of overhead in maintaining <clears throat> multiple versions in, in production, for example, it brings like the, the cost of, of testing is literally multiplied by the number of branches you have. That makes sense. Um, and basically that's a very interesting proposition in and of itself. How often um, does somebody go off on, on 
doing a, a feature branch, which turns out to be something that they work on for weeks and they're like trying to prevent it from going stale and it goes back in and needs to go through regression testing, uh, breaks things. I think it's living closer to the edge. Yeah. And, and it's it, not for everyone. It's for very disciplined teams that have capacity as well to, to do it. It's moving faster. It's living faster. It seems to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, um, the, the thing that, that drew me to, um, trunk based development was that, um, I've been in a, in a number of teams where we've had multiple branches for multiple environments. Um, and a lot of the times testers came to me and like, Hey, Ken, uh, is, is bug X, uh, I, I saw you, you, uh, I saw that you deployed it on the, on the developer branch and I can't reproduce the bug on test. So, so I assume you have deployed it there as well, but did you already push it to, to the QA, uh, environment so, so that I can double check? So where, where did you push this, this, this piece of code already? And it was like, right. I, I did this yesterday or two days ago and. I can't really remember. I need to go back and check on what I did. Um, I agree wholeheartedly in, because that's yeah. another overhead. Like you, the the amount of branches or slash environments you have, it just literally multiplies the amount of work. Yeah. Also, the data might be different in your different environments, and oh, yeah. a bug occurs in one. It doesn't. Oh, we, oh, it seems like it's fixed. No, your data is different <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the other environment, yeah. for example. Uh, oh wow. So. Um, I just want to. Oh, Matt, you have a question? Yeah, for our uh, just for our listeners, just to clarify, right? So when we talk about different, like one branch, for example, uh, the the build definitions uh, that's what come in. Uh, those are the the tools that we would use to to say, okay, this is going to be built for production. This is going to be built for QA. This is going to be built for for develop. I think for us within us, we know that. Uh, so it's not just branches, there's that build definitions and that automation of it, if it's automated or if it's manual, whatever the case might be. But that that, um, that build definition is, or the release, whatever, you know, because sometimes it might be called release or deploy definitions. But those are, that will dictate uh, where uh, the code will be, will end up. Um, mm -hmm. Just want to clarify in case someone says, "Well, wait a second, you don't have multiple branches. Well, how do I know? How do I make this code end up in you would have, multiple yeah, you would environments?" Say I have multiple build definitions. Yeah. yeah, that's also one of the analogies I wanted to make was, "Oh, well, you know, you don't have different branches, but now, you know, you say I have one branch, but you end up having config files that sort of define how that uh, thing is going to behave while building because you're, for example, hiding a feature, or you have build configs that you know uh, enable some flags or not." It's definitely like there is no such thing as a free lunch, right, Ken? So I was going to ask you, like, what what is the overhead of of going to fewer branches? Which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. So <clears throat> would we all agree that the more branches you have to maintain, you create overhead? Although it doesn't matter which system you use, it seems like branches you want to have as few as possible. <laughs> Do we sort of find each other there? Yeah, I uh, I agree, and like like you said, the the most challenging part of, of having one branch is being able to to hide what is not done yet. So um, uh, 
that's easy for like a button but yeah let's say you want to update your framework yeah how Um, do you hide that uh you don't you you stop everything for three months and then (laughs) (laughs) um that was actually the situation where i when i entered the company they were going through um uh, uh an upgrade and they were like we haven't done anything for production problems for the last two, three months, um, and we need to we need to get this this done. So that that was one of the first things I um I worked on, and it 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 took a lot of time because um let's say it was not the the best the uh, the code base was not in the best shape, so it, it took quite a bit of of changing everything and checking everything, uh, and some things had gone from regular synchronous calls to async calls which brought on its own um problems uh and and that's when i said like we can't have these many different um builds builds uh going off anymore because at the uh at the time they were like for every environment it was like a little different like here we do this and over there we don't do that and I, I kind of streamlined that all where at, at the top level, you're going like, okay, in which branch did I, did I publish um, development or production? Okay, if it's production, I'm just going through the whole same pipeline, but I'm going to um, deploy to the production machines. And if I came from the developer branch, it would take the exact same pipeline, but target the the development uh, or the testing uh, environment and it was it was uh, i think i i, I did that definitely something nicely. that could be uh, you know it's more like a built uh, definition than yeah it, uh, it is more be. like a, uh, it is it was in the build definition but the 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 number of um, branches the the limited number of branches made this work quite easy and if i and if i want to say like um, I want to first de- deploy to a test and then to a QA environment. It's it's waiting. It's just waiting for an OK, and the the rest of the pipeline is is exactly mm-hmm. the the same. That 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 made my life a lot easier as well, and uh, okay. it it became a lot more um, dependable. Overseeable. Like, uh, uh, oh. Yeah, not only that, but also um, stable because. It's simpler, fewer moving it's simpler. parts. Yeah, if if something doesn't get deployed in in uh, the test environment, I know I will have the same problem when I'm going to try to go to production. Yeah. And so I I just need to fix it once, and then it's fixed for all the for all the environments. Instead yeah. of hey, there's a little change over there. That's why it's working in test, but not in development or in. So in, this this actually brings me brings me to to one of the core questions was, and we haven't asked that yet actually, <laughs> which problem were you trying to solve or what were you trying to achieve? And I think you sort of answered that right now, right? You you yeah. went from a uh, a bush of branches, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you you minimized that, and this gave you both uh, technical simplicity, mm-hmm. but also cognitive simplicity. So it yeah. took load off of your uh, code or your your technical system because you have fewer 
you know, moving Fewer parts, moving parts give yeah. you stability. Yeah, you had some build configs that you defined, which was a lot mm-hmm. easier than maintaining the branch. But also, one of the things you said, like, well, I couldn't remember, like three days ago, I might have worked on something, but where did I push it to? Because as a developer, you're doing, you know, switching context, you're working on that ticket, you're working mm-hmm. on that ticket, something like three days ago. Well, I don't know. Three days ago yeah. is, is three years ago for me. Um, yeah. And did, do you feel like you, um, when you look back now, was it a successful operation? Yeah. Um, because in some cases, builds were, were failing. Um, not the builds, the, the deploy themselves uh, was failing. And one of the one of the deployment scripts, um, I, I forgot which one, it did not turn off IIS. So it just kept IIS running. So if IIS put a lock on a file because it mm-hmm. was reading it at that time, mm-hmm. the, the deployment process could not... Um, override the file. Could not override the file and it would... It would crash that, and it doesn't happen systemically. It happens mm-hmm. because somebody is accessing the site at that time. So it's so difficult to reproduce. Yeah, <laughs> so really help to, to debug that. Yeah, one. and it's it's um, and in in the in the test environment, everything was okay because IIS got stopped re, uh, got stopped nicely. And in in the production environment, it happened sometimes. You could deploy five times and nothing would happen. And the sixth time, the the website didn't deploy correctly. And when you went to see, there was like one of the DLLs was was still there. And it was always a different DLL. And while I was rummaging through the pipeline, I was like, hey, it's not getting stopped here. And then I I went through the through the through the thing of okay, we're going to get rid of of some stuff. We're going to get rid of some branches. We're going to get rid of some some. Uh, setup uh, things, um, so we have a much more simplified, uh, simplified setup. And I had to, to onboard uh, a new developer recently, and uh, I, I I stepped him through it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I, I get where everything is. It's because it all does the same thing. It only just targets different environments. It 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 just builds it once and then targets different environments." And it was really easy to explain to him how that um, how that uh, worked and how that where something was when he needed to to change something. That was that was very very much um, yeah, an optimization. Hey, can, how, how long did it take for uh, the transition, like to kind of clean up, uh, you know, to go to something that, like you say, very simple, manageable, flexible. Um, it was, um, there, there were four environments with several different, um, flows and I had, I had studied them, uh, in the, from time to time, two weeks prior. So like something went wrong, go into the pipeline, try again, something, uh, read through some code. Um, so I, I didn't time that part, uh, but when I when I knew what I wanted to do, it took about two days to get everything moved from the old archaic system to my beautiful elegant um, code. So that it was about two days of uh, of editing YAML YAML uh, files in the Azure DevOps environment, and the 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 longest thing um, that, that took the most time was change only one thing 
and then run the whole pipeline again and see see if you if you get get further because uh, sometimes um, because there's no autocomplete uh, or there's no real parser for those YAML files, it doesn't really say when you've given um, a bad name to something. So like, oh, I, I think I can use a, a dash here. And then you run it and then the whole thing crashes or it says I can't process the file. And it's like, all right, I can't use a dash. I have to use an underscore instead. Um, so that that's what took the most um, that's what took the most time. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I, I've, you know, <laughs> I've I've witnessed a transition from um, from a Microsoft Team Foundation to um, I think that's what it's called, or or um, yeah, I think that's the name or whatever the name is to to git that was a bit mm -hmm. uh that was a bit more uh, challenging but uh yeah i mean two days uh you know i think i think for git strategy if you're already in git um i'm not gonna say all transitions would be as simple as what you've done no 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 <laughs> but um but i think I think the, the I think what what's good about Git is the flexibility or the concepts um, that simplify things. So first of all, it can go from any branch to any branch, right? So that's that's a good thing, right? Uh, it's not like that hierarchy, like you have to go from here to here to here, right? So from anywhere, I want to merge this, I want to do this. That's you're flexible. And the other thing is the this is what I like about about Git. You know, again, as a philosophy of it, there's only addition. So you only add stuff. You don't say, I'm going to delete this. I'm going to remove this. You just add on top of things, mm -hmm. which is almost like how, you know, accountant likes to work, right? Even if they have, a, if you have to subtract a number, they will take a negative number and add it to the, <laughs> or, or add all the negative numbers together and then have the total under the, the difference between the totals. So uh, anyway, and I think, I think Git helps in this sense. Yeah, but just yeah, between parentheses. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. No, I, I agree that not that not every transition will go will go this smooth because the code was already in Git on Azure DevOps, and the the inefficient pipeline was already um, in Azure DevOps. So everything was already on one platform. I just have to had to optimize it, and I like I said, I took some time between bugs or when I got stuck on something. I was like. I'm gonna I'm gonna read through a bit of the of the of the of the deployment um, itself and figure out how to how to um, how to improve it. So the two weeks prior, I I can't put an it, it wasn't two weeks on one part going like uh, I need to get through this I need to understand this, but it was I I did take some fifteen minutes here half an hour there. Um, to, to run through through parts of the of the of the pipeline to understand it and think of how how I could um, improve it and then once I had that clear picture the those two days actually working on it were were like sitting down writing it all up testing it and 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 getting it done but the the setup work was was mostly 
was mostly done before that uh, before those days. So that that saved a lot of time. Yeah. So coming back again to the idea of simplification, <clears throat> to me, you know, when I hear you describing this, the analogy I see is you, you came into this into this house into the living room and they have this TV with the with the home cinema setup and you look at the cables like what this this is like a mess like all these cables mm-hmm. are running through each other it works but you know you want to plug out something you don't know if it's plugged in and you sort of reduce the numbers of cables and you know it's you can in one glance you can you know what goes where and i know it's a completely unrelated analogy but for me at least my brain works that way um if i can visually or conceptually put things into buckets it's much easier to um you you don't waste as many cycles (laughs) if that makes sense (laughs) on, on deciphering things uh and as much as this counts for code i suppose it also counts for infrastructure um maybe even more so you could have like a, a pretty clean code base maybe but then on the uh more on the on the git level you you might make things uh more of a mess so all in all um simpler is probably always better mhm yeah um I'm, I'm gonna add to the to the analogy of your house your house should be clean but it should but it should not be showroom clean because mm-hmm. in in something that is that is too clean you're afraid to to move or touch things because you'll make a mess and it, and because it doesn't, things that it doesn't are too clean are artificial and, they don't exist in yeah. reality either right yeah um, exactly so so, so your, code your base, kitchen needs to be in, in working order it's, yeah but but you also don't want to have like leftover spices or or some some dropped food around you got to clean those things up but you have to you have to decide where to do it and and you can start out very nice and very clean and then somebody else comes in and adds a bit more and somebody else and adds a bit more code and then suddenly you you notice it's like it's difficult to get through that part of the code so then it might be time to to go back to revisit that and say we need to clean this up a bit. Um, so it's it's I think it's a it's a constant push and pull to have like working code that does what your business expects it to do, and then having the trust of your business that that you can go like hey we kind of need a week to clean some mess up because we made feature X work for you. Now we have to clean up feature X so. So that when you want changes to that feature, because they're gonna come, um, that we can do that in in a timely in a timely fashion. So it doesn't take us a month or two to figure out how we build feature X and how we're gonna uh, edit feature X. So feature X keeps working um, and and can be easily updated. Yeah, I love as on a side note, uh, I I love. How well the uh, the restaurant analogy works for for software development on, on so many levels. We, uh, you know, Med and I, we, we throw it around all the time. Uh, it's it's so good. Yeah, I, I think, there's uh, one example that we use with the, uh, uh, I think it's with uh, technical debt, where you go like, okay, so um, you you don't do the dishes. You know, you're, you're in a rush hour. 
And you say, oh, let's not do the dishes because we need to cook. You know, they want features. They don't want us to work on infrastructure, for example. Mm -hmm. so you're cooking, but no, nobody's doing the dishes. And suddenly there's like this pile of dishes. There are no clean plates left and you got to do dishes. And this slows down cooking because you got your chefs, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we use that, for example, as an exact uh, analogy for, for technical debt. Um, good stuff in there as well. Uh, hey, um, I thought this was uh, a pretty technical episode. Um, uh, a lot of insight from uh, experienced people as well. Uh, I think we'll probably get some feedback uh, on, on this episode. Uh, by the way, we do get feedback on the show. I'm just extremely lazy and... <laughs> <laughs> like I, I appreciate the feedback I get. We don't really, we don't have like these uh, response moments where we answer, you know, questions or, or, or people bring up, oh, did you consider this thing as well? So uh, I'll, I'll make an effort. So if, if people have uh, uh, anything to add to this conversation, we'll, we'll try to make an effort. No promise. We'll try to make an effort to, to bring it up uh, on the other time. So, Med, do you have? Uh, Anything uh, else you, uh, you want to ask, Ken, before we wrap it up? Um, yeah, maybe one last question. I mean, this is in general. Huh? What, what would you say to someone who's not, who doesn't have a, uh, an automated CICD you know, pipeline strategy in place? What are they missing? Um, first of all, I would say don't forget to copy that one file. Because there's only always one file that's like I, I took care of everything. Oh no, wait, there's this one file that's left behind, and and that's the thing. Um, before you can automate something, you need to know the steps to do it, and that's why I always do something manual at least once to know like, okay, I wanna I wanna copy this over here. Oh, there's no folder. I have to make sure there's a folder, and then I know all the all the steps that I that I have to go through. I write them down, uh, I remember them, and then I automate those. Because next time, it's going to be so much easier when you have a script or you have a build pipeline in place that just takes care of the daily grind. Um, so whether it's uh, trunk-based development or Gitflow or something, uh, or something else, make sure you can automate it. It's going to make your life as a developer or, or just life in general a lot more easy and, and enjoyable. But start small and, and do one thing um, at a time and, and add on top of the previous things, like automate a build and make sure that you have a build. And then uh, automate deploying to your servers. And then when you, once you have, once you can deploy to your servers, take a look at what if I need to deploy to other servers? Um, and uh, in in Azure, I found a really neat, nice way of working with tags. So I can just give a tag to a server and it will deploy my front end to there. Like I, uh, uh, at the current customer, they have uh, one server for uh, all the backend services uh, and a good four servers for their uh, front end uh, ASP uh, for their yeah, ASP.NET website. And every site labeled um, web gets the front end, and every server services gets the, uh, the back end services installed. But if I want to add a web server or I take, I take one out, all I have to do is add or remove a label. So I automated that part as well. 
Um, but it's not the first thing I did. The first thing I did was make sure that that the deployments were nice. That's that's uh, I had a I had a, 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 a pipeline that was more easily readable than before. That I had one general flow, and then I was like, oh, I'm I'm repeating all these things. Okay, may, maybe I can I can rework this. And uh, so the the thing is, take it slow, take it one step at a time, and um, automate uh, automates all the annoying parts of your life. Hey, uh, can we automate uh, software development? <laughs> um, yes, I I think Microsoft, Google, uh, and Amazon are working really hard on a uh, brain to computer interface, in where you can just go like, I want software that does this and some AI just provides the code. Uh, Hi, my name is AI. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. We, we'll see what problems those things bring. Like the meme says, you know, modern problems will uh, bring uh, modern solutions because I know you say it in jest or, or half jokingly, but you can already imagine like, so who are the people that build that system or, you know, how are you going to debug that type of thing? Uh, so you, people, maybe non-developers will start to realize how specific they need to be with their requirements. Because when they, you know, when they think it's like, oh, I want an application that does this. And then suddenly <laughs> they find out you need to specify literally everything or it, yeah. it doesn't work the way you wanted it to be. And funnily enough, when, when you describe everything in, in so much detail that a PC can understand it. You're actually programming. Yes. Yeah, you're writing code. Yeah. <laughs> hey, super. Great episode. Um, yeah. Also, uh, uh, very interesting and insightful comments you got from you, Ken. Um, so, um, obviously, we'd love to have you again on the show uh, for some other topics that we discussed uh, pre in the pre-recording session. Um uh, such as uh, Azure Cognitive Services, maybe uh, we can do that down, uh, you know, in, in the near future somewhere. But in the meanwhile, uh, if if somebody wants to reach out to you to find out more about trunk-based development or about you in general, where where would they best go? Um, I have uh, a professional website, More Than Code, M O R E T H A N C O D E dot B E. And all my contact info is uh, available there. So if uh, if they want to send me an email or or uh, get in touch, best way uh, to to look is there. That's uh, that's a great starting point. Yeah. More than code.be. That's where you can find yeah. Ken Bonnie, uh, Master Med. Where can people um, find you? They can find me at medmed.com. Uh, by no means it's uh, official or professional or. You know, just a place Yours where you can probably find probably made in PHP. Kansas made in ASP. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. M-A-D, M-E-D dot com. Yeah. Yeah. My name is Errol Baikal. You can find me at baikal.be, B-A-Y-K-L dot B-E. Uh, and yeah, thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next episode. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks Take for care. having me. Yeah.